suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things This is an attempt by me, Joe Moorahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope, yes, enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today, we introduce Bjorn Borg, Why He Matters. We'll begin this discussion in what will be a multi-episodic series devoted to the life of tennis legend Bjorn Borg. And our, our intention is to explore four basic questions. Number one, how good was Bjorn Borg? Really? <clears throat> Teaser alert. <laughs> he was really, really good, but you knew that. Number two, what price did Borg have to pay to achieve such greatness? Number three, is a one-dimensional life necessary to achieve greatness? Number four, did there ever occur in the life of Bjorn Borg one precise moment in his life where everything changed? You know, was, was he struck by lightning? Did he experience a sort of Saul of Tarsus moment where nothing would ever again be the same for him? You know, things that could 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 never be changed back to the way they were. And if you know your Bible, you'll understand this reference to Saul of Tarsus. And I should point out, we'll ask the question, are there lessons, you know, precautionary warnings to be learned from the life of Bjorn Borg that apply to, you know, ordinary people like me? You know, unlike all all newspaper headlines, which, if phrased in the form of a question, mean that the answer is automatically by design. No, the answer to our question is yes. There is definitely much to be gained from reflecting upon both the career and the life of Bjorn Borg. And yes, Borg experienced just such a Saul of Tarsus moment in his life. And I'll, and I'll add this precaution as we get started. This Bioblast series really isn't about playing tennis. It's a universal story about achievement. And given I am delivering this monologue, there exists a very high probability there will be diversions and digressions. I can see them coming. The wave is forming. It's time to start paddling. So for nearly the entirety of my life, even in childhood, as far back as the age 10, for sure, I believe to the depths of my soul, my life had value only to the extent I achieved something worthwhile. No achievement, no value. Simple as that. Now, I am not suggesting this is how one ought to value themselves, nor am I suggesting this is a healthy way to live one's life. I'm merely choosing to share with you that is how I saw things, you know, quoting Linda Ronstadt, for a long, long time. And, and should you decide to measure your self-worth by such a standard, by the necessity you know, required of linear, logical thinking. This can only mean one is 
only as good as one's last performance. Wow. You know, this, I assure you, this is a hard way to live. There's intense pressure to perform, to achieve, or else one is simply worthless. Crimey, this this makes life difficult. But value through achievement, value through performance-based worth might be absolutely critical to superior achievement. Einstein stated, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to goals, not to people. So keep that in mind, too, as we proceed. And, and Einstein was no schmuck. Now, quite rightly, you know, even, even this, this early on, you might be entitled to ask, hey, come on, man, are we, are we at church here or something? Are we in a confessional? Shouldn't you, meaning me, be having this discussion with a Freudian psychoanalyst attending a Werner Erhard est workshop or as Mick Jagger once suggested in waiting on a friend might not I be in need of a virgin priest (laughs) rather than sharing this stuff on a podcast with you to which I can only respond hey hang in there it's early in the game set match man and it's relevant all relevant to the story of Bjornborg I promise now It took the genius of but intensely um, troubled mind and soul that was Friedrich Nietzsche to write both that one pays dearly to achieve immortality and that one must die several times while alive. And I believe that Bjorn Borg himself likely um, concedes to Nietzsche that he had been quite perceptive, quite right on both these insights. For Borg would visit that place not dissimilar to Dante's seventh level of hell, from which that condemned suffering soul of a woman shared with Virgil, I must get back to my burning. Beyond that, we have come to learn from Borg himself that his life had turned on a dime a portentous, decisive, consequential, epic-altering moment in time that only Borg knew had taken place, had in fact occurred. As tennis fans, we could never have known Borg's moment of criticality had been reached. The, you know, that phase, you know, change transition point that forever altered the trajectory of the life of Bjorn Borg had revealed itself but only to Borg. Yet we had been there, observers, many of us, witnesses to this seismic event via our television screens. Still, we could never have known that in that very moment, the tectonic plates of the tennis world had shifted violently and forever. We simply did not know the magnitude of the cataclysmic event that had occurred in the life of Bjorn Borg. And and it's like going to church. Anybody can go there, you know, be there, sit in a pew, witness what's going on, but few truly understand. And none of this was known to anybody but Bjorn Borg. The future of the tennis world had been turned upside down, but we didn't know it at the time. You know, water turns to ice at the freezing point. Water turns to steam at the boiling point. 
This moment of phase change is easily discernible. But the man known as the Iceborg, his phase change transition was not as visibly as dramatic as that which took place when when Nietzsche was on a street in Turin, Italy, on November twenty, uh, November second, eighteen eighty nine, when the already mentally disintegrating Nietzsche happened upon a man who was beating a horse. And this proved too much for the fraying philosopher who intervened on the horse's behalf, rushed to save the creature from further mistreatment by flinging his arms around the poor thing's neck and stroking its mane. A moment later, the distressed philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche collapsed to the pavement and wound up institutionalized. He recovered consciousness, by the way, but never his sanity, and spoke not a single word for the next 10 years of what had to have been a terrible, horrible, miserable, and I should say ironic existence for a man whom had so much to say, reduced to drooling in his chair in a sanitarium for more than a decade. I know not the fate, by the way, of that horse, but anyway, nearly a half century after suddenly announcing his retirement from a field in which he still excelled. Bjorn Borg still matters and should. For it is, it is from Borg's addition-like journey, his magnificent triumphs and significant tribulations, that there, emanate an, there emanates an undeniable truth. From Borg's life, there is so much to be learned. 20 years ago, Christopher Hitchens wrote uh, a smart condensed treatise, Why Orwell Matters. In 2006, Michael Shermer wrote Why Darwin Matters. So today we introduce and will and conclude this first episode of Bjorn Borg, Why He Matters, by asking for your indulgence for a few moments, accepting that in this series, we've committed ourselves to following a very particular approach when unveiling the Bjorn Borg story, at least those aspects of his life that we find relevant for our purposes. Again, relying on Einstein, our approach is based on Einstein's methodological process that that should he ever have been given one hour to save planet Earth, he'd, he'd spend 59 minutes defining the problem and one minute resolving it. If, if that process was good enough for Einstein, then we believe it should be good enough for us. So, I mean, granted, Einstein was engaged in, engaged in thinking about subjects such as whether light was a wave or a particle and therefore whether sunlight on a cornfield had mass and weighed tons and, and by the way, if, if sunlight had mass, which Einstein hypothesized that it did, then light would be subject to the laws of gravity, and it followed that gravity would bend light, meaning the shortest distance between two points would not be a straight line as we have been taught, but a curved light line. Oh my God, the light line. Who knows? Anyway, while we, we are thinking about a tennis player, we are committed to the process in the same way that Nick Saban is, is committed to his process at Alabama. So let us 
fundamentally establish, you know, fix the unique level of Bjorn Borg's level of excellence. Let us finish this beginning. Bjorn Borg was an amazing, astonishing talent. And during his reign in the 1970s as the king of the court, aficionados of men's tennis, experts of the game, whom understood the complexities and intricacies of that game, they almost universally acknowledged then, and it is agreed still today, sort of the Apostles' Creed, if you will, Bjorn Borg was, at the time he played, the time he competed, he was simply the greatest tennis player ever to have graced the court. Now, arguments in favor of Australia's Rod Laver as the best ever are sometimes put forth, and and, and not without certain levels of justification, because Rod Laver was damn good. He really was. But still, when the smoke clears, it's Bjorn Borg as Prometheus established on the mountaintop. And a comparison between Borg and Prometheus is not without a certain degree of irony, given that Borg's ascent to the summit, his stay at the top, and his descent therefrom required that he endure tremendous amounts of suffering. And this is not unimportant to know. To, and, and to which we will spend time elaborating upon this issue more fully as we proceed. And in our next episode, we will define just how comprehensive, just how astonishing were Bjorn Borg's accomplishments, his achievements, and his legacy of greatness. And we'll provide the stats that prove Borg was Superman. And they are incredible, otherworldly. And we'll leave it there for now. So if you love tennis, if you like stats, as I do, They're worth perusing. So we hope that you'll come back and listen to Bjorn Borg, Why He Matters, Part 2. The ball is in your court. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you'll be back. Bye-bye. Tomorrow, days from the land Nothing can save me 
it is worse than I have no control The wind and the waves are taking their toll I look to the stars, there's none I can see I'm afraid fate, she has answered me Only moments my story will end And there was a story I wanted to send Oh, how I dream for the calm of the sea A beautiful face smiling back at me The sea is boiling and I'm getting cold Lost my sails, got to find a way home When did the skies change, when did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life When did the skies change, when did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas